So please welcome to another episode of the Fat for Weight Loss Show. Today, I am speaking with Gourmet, and we will get to it right after this. An important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than 100 different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. So, Gormi, welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. I am super excited to have you on today. How are you going today? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad we're we're getting to talk. I'm yeah. I'm I'm really excited because you've got um quite a journey that mm. uh, a lot of people may may or may not have experienced, and and I think that you know it's it's going to be a really great podcast. So make sure if you're listening, if you've just listened to the first little bit of the podcast, make sure you stick around to the end because we've got some really amazing mm. content. Um, so when I start the podcast, I like you know um doing a quote unquote icebreaker, um and. I introduced you as Gormi, but your first name is actually Mike. Can you sort of tell us where Gormi came from and maybe, you know, is it, was it Instagram? Was it just a, you know, a, a nickname that people gave you? Where did that come from? Sure, sure. Well, my, my full name is Mike Gorman. My last name's Gorman. And um, I, I've been called Gormi by people kind of randomly throughout my life, but never a nickname that, that stuck per se. And, and when I joined, when I was joining Instagram, I, I started an account uh, called Gormandizer73. And Gormandize is a word that means to eat voraciously. And that really adequately described my life at that time. Like I was, I, I like to say that my account back then was kind of a bit of a circus sideshow. Um, it was <laughs> the, the massive amounts of food I was eating. It was me putting my much heavier body on display, kind of living the, you know, the, for all intents and purposes, the happy fat guy life. And that was the name that stuck. And through that, people started calling me Gourmet, just, you know, people that I was DMing with and interacting with. And when I decided to start a different journey, you know, to come back to, to attempting to lose weight, which I had done many times in my life, but to take it seriously again, um, I did change my account right away. I kept the name the same. And about Probably five or six months into my journey, I decided that I, I needed to kind of banish all traces of, of the Gormandizer from from me, uh, like do a, an exorcism of sorts. And, uh, you know, as much as that's that's always going to be a part of me in my life, um, I, I didn't want that being the, the first foot I was putting forward anymore. So mm-hmm. keto was my was the, the way of eating that was radically changing my life at that point. And um, I, I was fall, I had fallen in love with the keto community on Instagram. So it made sense for me to 
figure out a way to, to get keto into my name and also uh, shorten it because gourmandizer goes keto would be a bit of a tongue twister um, for, <laughs> in terms of names and, and quick recognition. And so I shortened it to Gourmet because that's what I had a group, of, a good group of friends that were calling me at that point. So um, I just embraced Gourmet. And now it's just, it's become a name that I use everywhere. I, I, I've got the local coffee shop here that, you know, I'm connected with them through social media as well as in person. Oh, cool. And so every time I walk in there, I get called Gourmet. You know, there's a lot of different places I go now. And, and Gourmet is, is becoming the name that's sticking. So I, I ran with it. I, I thought it made sense. I love it. And uh, if you're on Instagram or if you uh, frequent the social medias, then definitely go ahead and follow Mike Gourmet at Gourmet Goes Keto. Um, and, you know, we can definitely delve into your your Instagram and how that sort of changed you as well. But but can you tell us a little bit about you um, and, and how, uh, you know, some of the transformations that you went through uh, either prior to keto or, you know, what was what was the background? What did that look like for you? Sure. Well, well, I have basically been, I'm 46 years old and for most of my life, I've, I've been massively overweight and I, I know people hear that phrase and they, they, they try to think what that means. And to some people that's 250 pounds and to some people that's more. And for me, it was more, um, when I was 10 years old, I was over 200 pounds. When I was 16 years old, um, I hit 350 pounds, um, many diet attempts in between there and after. Um, I went to college and the college I went to, the university I went to, the was a, a very physical campus. You had to walk everywhere. And so I think that helped kind of keep things under control a bit for me during that time. But my weight soon surpassed 300 pounds again. And when I left college, um, it skyrocketed. Um, I, I had a variety of dieting attempts throughout that time, but uh, my weight eventually got to 540 pounds. And I was in the 500s for several years, uh, probably at, at least six or seven years. And um, it, it obviously then becomes the focus of your life, um, living at mm -hmm. that size. And I felt trapped and in a lot of ways I had accepted it and embraced being the, I like to say that the happy fat guy, you know, I, I used to talk about fat acceptance a lot and, you know, a lot of those, those top topics and concepts with people. And, um, but there was always a part of me that knew that I was on this destructive path because when you're that big and you're, you're not physically active and you're not eating great food, um, you're clearly doing some damage. And, uh, I had, I, I also, as a, as a bigger person, we often are afraid of doctors and we know what they're going to say. So we avoid them. And I developed a, a real fear of, of the medical profession. And so I, I was starting to identify problems. I was having severe medical issues and still avoiding, um, those paths. And in the, in the, the probably around 2009, 2010, I decided to make a concentrated effort. Um, I had lost some weight just through life circumstances, like a, a small amount, a very, very small amount, um, through some some work issues in terms of um, not having work. And it was around the time the economy in the United States crashed. And mm -hmm. so finding work was hard. And I knew finding work at 500 pounds was not going to be easy because no matter how great I looked on paper, uh, when you are a barely mobile 540 pound person going into an office sweating and, and looking like you're going to collapse just from walking in from the parking lot 
Um, no one's going to give you a second look. So I, I started looking into diets and, and programs that might resonate for me. And that was when I discovered paleo and um, clean eating and paleo and the Whole30 and, and that ilk. And I got very, very interested in, in where my food was sourced and uh, properly raised, humanely raised animals. And um, throughout that time period, uh, by 2013, I had actually gotten down to 210 pounds. Um, I read that was my goal weight. Uh, I wanted to hit that by the time I turned 40. And for my 40th birthday uh, in April, late April of 2013, I was 210 pounds. Um, it was a life-changing experience, obviously, because when I was 540 pounds, I could barely stand. I could barely walk. Um, I, w I was living a very small existence. And I had escaped that, but hadn't really done any of the of the mental work. I, I just worked on the 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 scale number, so I very um, dramatically and quickly fell off um, in May of 2013, and by October of 2013, I was 480 pounds again. Um, mm. So I put on 270 pounds in less than six months, and that was by going right back to my old e eating habits, right back to my old patterns. That that severe food addiction that had dominated my life reared its head and took the reins again. And I, I lived at that size in the high 400s for a few years. Um, I basically had resigned myself to just being big for the rest of my life. And while I kept an eye on the fitness community, I never did more than dangle my toes in. Um, mm. And that was when I started to see um, new ways of eating, get, taking prominence and coming to the forefront. And uh, I, I, I hit a point where once again, um, you know, life comes into play. And I, I had some family circumstances change and decided I needed to do something about um, how I was living. And the fact that I, I came to the realization that I, I was killing myself with food. And I, I don't say that lightly. I know, I know people sometimes say, you know, oh, I want to die or, oh, I want to die today. Things are so bad. Um, I didn't want to die, but I wasn't afraid of it. I, I knew mm. that it would be a consequence of how I was living and I didn't see how I was living changing. So I started to accept that that was what was coming for me. And um, you start to, to think about things. And so I had actually um, wrote a letter to my family that I kept by the side of my bed in case I didn't wake up the next day, um, basically telling them, you know, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, it basically said, I, I led a very happy life. Please don't worry about me. You know, please don't, please don't have any regrets about me or my life. Um, I'm not sure I 100% believe that, obviously, but I, I wanted, I knew that I was becoming more and more of a burden to them and not being f there for them as they needed me to be. And um, I just started to accept that that was how my life was going to be. I was outgrowing vehicles, like you outgrow a pair of pants, um, mm. getting a new car because I didn't fit in the car that I had. Um and just those were that was my normal. That was that was the way life was for me. And then my my the the literal moment for me is my parents came into a situation where they were going to have to, at their age, uh, take on responsibility for some children, some some infants. And uh, my dad made a point of of saying, if we do this, we're going to need your help. We're going to need your support. And he wasn't saying it in a way that he was trying to be a warning to me or trying to change my behavior or make a comment. You know, my family had always been pretty 
accepting of me and um, as much as they were concerned. But for me, it was an eye-opening moment because it was when I realized that um, my life wasn't just about me, that there was this bigger interconnected picture and I needed to think about the people that needed me and didn't just need me in a way where someone says, oh, I need you tomorrow. I need you to help with this. It was people saying, uh, we might need you to help be responsible for other people's lives. And mm -hmm. I knew the path I was on was going to take me away from there. I'd already accepted that I would, would die before my parents even probably got sick. Um, and it was a, a shocking moment because... I had just always lived my life as if it was just mine, and, and and if anyone else, if anyone else was, I was responsible to them. It wasn't my response. It wasn't my responsibility. Which is me using the same words over. I'm not. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I, I didn't. I lived my life like I didn't owe anyone anything for anything they had done for me. Um, it was a selfish existence, and I, I finally started to come out of that. And I knew I needed to find a tool that would would help me um, deal with the the massive hunger and food addiction and those issues and I needed to be more cognizant of my process and how I was feeling and and how everything was making me feel and uh, so I I discovered um, keto through a, through a few books um, specifically Vinnie Tortorich's Fitness Confidential and then Jimmy Moore's Keto Clarity and I decided that keto was something I could do it, it was in line with ways I'd, eat, I'd eaten before and there seemed to be some power behind the stories I was hearing. So I decided to um, give it a go in February of 2017. And at that time, I was 470 pounds. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. Because <clears throat> I know that uh, some of the, the mental shifts that happen mm -hmm. throughout all of that journey can be um, uh, really tough to go back to. Uh, and so, your, so today's date is... Uh, August 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how, how much do you weigh now? Um, as of today, I am 217 pounds. So you've lost 323 pounds? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. From my heaviest, I, I'm 323 pounds down. Uh, since I, I started keto, I'm now, I just literally this weekend uh, crossed the milestone of being 200, over 250 pounds down using keto. That's fantastic. Um, you know, how, how does everyday life change for you when you've experienced both sides of the scale, so to speak? Oh, it's it it's like I'm living in a new body that I, I don't really even fully understand yet. Uh, the physics of my body are different. Um, before, I, I carried most of my weight in my stomach. Um, so I was always kind of walking hunched forward and it affected my gait. And I, I, I like to say that I, I literally waddled bef when I was 540 pounds. Um, movement at 540 pounds or even 470 pounds um, was about getting from point A to point B as quickly as possible so you could get yourself to rest. Um, I don't have, I didn't have the strongest, genetically, I don't have the strongest back. Uh, we have back problems that run all through my family. And I would get severe back pain very, very soon after standing up. So, I used to always judge my life and whether I would go somewhere or join in on activities based on how close was the parking, how much walking would be involved, what kind of seating was involved, um, would I would I even fit in the space, would it be a tight squeeze, uh, would I break the furniture? Um, when you experience that on a regular basis, that becomes something you think about because I did. 
Um, you know, I've broken couches, I've broken people's beds, uh, staying at people's houses. I, I've broken seats in cars many times. Um, and now my life is completely different. Now there's none of those physical limitations there anymore. I mean, I'm, my body still has damage that it's dealing with from being that large for so long. But I can walk anywhere. I can... I don't have to worry anymore about getting a parking space right at the front of somewhere I go to. I'll park anywhere. Um, I walk to the gym in the in the morning. You know, I I'll walk a mile there and a mile back. Um, I I don't have to waste energy anymore in my head, space in my head, planning out every movement and every every place I'm going and every experience because now I can just say yes to people when they ask me to go somewhere without worrying about whether it'll be somewhere that could accommodate me um and and it's also very different to when you're when you're used to being that large you're used to all the eyes going on you when you walk into a room um often you're the biggest person somewhere and now i can literally walk into a space and not have people even realize i'm there yet um so it's it's it changes your your perception of of yourself and just even getting ready in the morning is completely different taking care of my body cleaning myself um you know, at a base level, um, taking care of a, a body a body that is as large as I was uh, is a challenge, and you adapt things to that. You know, having a stool in the shower so you can rest while you're showering because you can't stand long enough. Um, I, I don't worry about those things anymore. So it's it's a completely completely different um, body that I'm in now, really, in a lot of ways. And um, on some levels that that's challenging because I, I still sometimes see myself as the old me in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but also at other times I'm, I'm amazed. Like I, I'm mostly amazed when I see pictures of myself that other people have taken. Uh, that's happened recently. I've seen some photos of myself, candid photos from an event I was at in Texas. And, um, I almost didn't realize that it was me. And until I recognized the clothing, I didn't realize it was me. So it's, there's this dis- disconnect I'm working on, like acknowledging and accepting that this is me now and this is, these are the things I can do. Um, yeah, it's it's powerful awesome. and it's, this is, <laughs> sometimes I, I think I share my emotional side too much with people, but um, I would say, you know, I go to the gym pro- at least five times a week and at least four of those days, by the time I finish working out, um, I, I'm teary-eyed or I'm full-on crying. Um, because it amazes me what I can do now. And I think if another an, a person who's really like been someone who's into fitness for, for decades would probably look at what I'm doing and think, well, you're not doing that much. Uh, but for me, when I finish up or when I'm, I'm on the treadmill cooling down or something along those lines, and I just think, this is what I can do now. And, and I didn't have to worry about taking a breather during those exercises or or resting somewhere or anything along those lines. Like it, it, it can be overwhelming to be honest with you. It, it can sometimes be really overwhelming. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, and you know, something that comes up for me a lot is that, uh, you should never compare your level one to someone else's level 10. Mm. You know, we're all on just totally different journeys and that comparison is, is the thief of all joy. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so along the way, you would have had some some massive successes and also vice versa, some massive failures. Mm. Um, what do you think was the, the main, uh, I guess, the main success and then what was maybe the, the main failure and how did you overcome that failure to make it a success? Sure. Um, I think 
as, as much as my body changing is, is a, is a great feat. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, an amazing accomplishment to sit here and say that two and a half years ago, I was 253 pounds heavier. Um, to me, the mental, the, my, the change in my relationship with food is, is to me the biggest accomplishment. Um, I, I'm not trapped by that obsession and addiction anymore. And, and making that change has really been the, the piece for me that makes me feel like I feel truly successful. Um, I've always been able to lose weight. I, I like to say that I'm great at losing weight. I'm great at gaining weight. I, I'm just not great at the in-between, obviously. But so losing weight is not something new or miraculous to me, but it's realizing that this at this point in my journey, I don't, I don't spend my days white knuckling so that I don't go and, and get the bad food again. And I don't dream about it. And I don't, I don't pine for it when someone else eats it in front of me. Like I, I've affected a shift in that relationship by being conscious all along the way of, of what I was doing and, and thinking more about how my emotions come into play and, and how I feel about food and my, and my body and all of those different facets. Like changing that has been what I would say is like my greatest success. Like, I, I don't think I'm free. I, I think a food addiction is something you carry with you for your entire life. Um, so I know that that voice can still be there, but I feel like now I'm so much better at recognizing when that voice is talking to me inside my head and I'm able to control what I allow it to do. I don't, I don't let uh, my addictive behaviors take the wheel anymore. Um, so there's, there's something powerful in that for me as a person. Um, it's interesting too, because you talk about, you know, you're asking about like my greatest kind of like stumble and, and failure and how did I turn that around? And I think it's related to that as well. Uh, first year and a half of my journey, I was what most people refer to as like lazy or dirty keto, uh, where I was just counting net carbs and not really tracking protein and fat or calorie intake or anything along those lines. Um, so I was relying on an intuitive eating and a just a, the natural reduction of my appetite to carry me. And I had some amazing success doing that. Um, but I, I still was hitting a point where, um, I mean, I, 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 I think I mentioned this to you earlier. Like I, I had a, a time where I did have a time where I fell off keto. I don't want anyone to think that I have been a hundred percent perfect throughout this entire journey at all. Um, I think we all have those moments and I, in July of 2017, so I had started in February in July of 2017, I made the decision to, um, for whatever reason, that I was going to take a week off. And that week off turned into four weeks off. Um, mm -hmm. And traditionally, in my past, when I did something like that, I completely crashed and burned and regained all the weight. Um, and I did put on a significant amount of weight in that month, I put on at least 30 pounds. And I was able to put the brakes on and get back to what I was doing, I was able to get back into um, eating the way I needed to getting back into a ketogenic diet, um, getting my exercise going again. And I recovered from that, which I, I think is a great accomplishment. But the, the the reason I bring that up as not the the biggest failure is because as much as I got back on to keto after that, um, some of those behaviors came back some of those those obsessive food behaviors came back. And I started to realize that I didn't have a handle on it. Um, I was starting to overeat on keto food a lot. Um, mm. Whether that's keto treats, or you know, there's so many hyper palatable keto foods out there. Um, 
you know, you don't have to make them yourself anymore. They're readily available to buy. And I, I, I've told many people this story, but um, there's a specific brand of, of nut butter that is lower carb, but incredibly palatable. Um, they have flavors that are like desserts, and I became obsessed with them. And I remember kind of the rock bottom moment was I had uh, bought a four pack of one of their brands on Amazon. And the day it arrived, I opened it and had a little bit and was like, okay, that's great. You know, I can control this. And then I dug into that jar as soon as I got home and finished it and cracked open another one. And by the time that that was a Friday and by the time Sunday arrived, I'd eaten all four jars of the nut butter, um, which is not a small amount of calories, not a small of, amount of nuts to put into your body in terms of dealing with digestion. Uh-huh. And at that point, my weight loss had stalled and I actually had started to put on some, some weight again, started to see my, the scale start to creep up. And I realized that if I didn't make a significant change, something was going to, to go really wrong. So I realized that I needed to track more tightly what I was eating and actually break down and start counting my macros completely and look into tracking and what calorie level I should be consuming and, and get more focused. And I was completely overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. And you, you, part of your question was, how did I turn this around into a success? And I turned it around into a success because I realized that as stubborn and obstinate as I was as a person, I needed to look for an outside resource to help me. So I started looking into coaching and I found a coach and got into a, a, very, a very tightly tracked program with him. And in doing so, that is when I feel that my freedom from the addiction um, flourished. When I started to really feel true physical satiation from food and was no longer plagued by the hungers that would burn within me every time I ate and the, the wanton cravings for all of the food that I used to eat, I, I found a new focus and a new, some new skills and, and accountability a level of accountability I didn't have before. And it's, it's become one of the, the, the brightest spots in my journey for me is, is that discovery. That's fantastic. And um, so your coach was Jonathan, who I had on the podcast a few episodes ago, and he works as a coach with Deeper State Keto. Is yes, that right? yes, he does. He's yep. one of the Deeper State Keto coaches. So I, I switched from counting net carbs to counting total carbs, um, yep. 10 grams of total carbs a day specifically. And um we actually increased my fat to protein protein ratio that I had just been naturally eating, um, yeah. and put some some different pieces in place. And also just being able to work with him on my mindset and yeah. having him as an accountability yeah. person. Jonathan is a a passionate, incredible person who puts himself out there for you no matter what you know what time of day it is or what's going on, and wants you to let him know if something bad is happening, and wants to know what your struggles are, and I decided that I needed to be open to that process because I, I told him the first time we talked, I said to him, um, I feel like I'm uncoachable. So I wish you luck. And he laughed. And I said, I really <laughs> wish I was joking, but I don't know how this is going to go. And he just said, I just need you to, to try to trust me, you know, as we get started you know, give it, give it a few weeks and, and let's just see what happens. And I was actually his first client through Deeper State. So oh, wow. we have a little bit of a unique story together because I, I'm his first and I'm still a client, still working with him because my journey is a little bit longer than some of his other clients. And um, 
I also knew get bringing a coach on. I, I had that fear in the back of my head about what happened in 2013, the regain, the massive regain. Mm. And I wanted to work with someone who would help me figure out what comes next. And I told him that right away. And he says, yep. He's like, we'll get you to where you want to be. And then we'll figure out what comes next for you. So I, I put my That's trust really in his awesome. hands. And I honestly, I, I, it's the first time I think I ever really trusted someone that deeply, like without, without reservation. Um, you know, I've, I've trusted people in my life, but I always kept walls up and never really was as open as I needed to be, I think, to get the help I needed from people, even counselors I worked with. And I, I feel like for some reason I was disarmed by him and um, I, I have zero regrets about that. That's so awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I asked him a few questions on the podcast a few episodes ago and I'd like to ask you some of those same questions because I think having a... Uh, having the answers from a coach is very different to having the answers from a client and, and so, or, you know, just someone who's going through that journey. Um, and so a lot of people struggle with uh, maybe variety in the foods mm. they eat and they think that that's a, a roadblock <coughs> to, you know, either sticking to keto, being committed to keto or like being committed to their health. What would you say to those people who are roadblocked by variety in their diet and, and uh, is that something to even worry about? That, that's an awesome question because that honestly was, has always been something I said that I, I, if I don't have variety, I can't eat, you know, I'll just, I won't be hungry, you know, I, or it'll, I'll go off plan. You know, I, I, I did that. I used to say that a lot. And one of, one of the things Jonathan put out to me was one of his goals for me was to get me to stop seeing food as a celebration and to start mm -hmm. seeing food as energy and as fuel for my body. And again, I laughed at him. We, I, we have several moments where we've laughed at each other. Um, but I said to him, honestly, and I believed it, that'll never happen. That, that transformation will never happen. And I feel like it actually has happened recently. But I, I still like variety in the food that I eat. And I think the, the shift for me was I, I'm someone who, as much as I'm not into any modern video games, um, I was always very analytical in school, liking math and science and the games that were about puzzles and solving puzzles and things along those lines. And when I started to look at, you know, especially even looking at my ketogenic macros as a puzzle to solve for every meal, I started to see the, the bounty and opportunity there was there for food. Like, I, I don't think you have to limit yourself to eating the same thing for seven days. Uh, but I do think you realize there are, sometimes it's easier to prep things in bulk. But I, I approach something like I see a lot of people, you know, will prep a casserole or, or something for like seven days. And I know for me, eating the same thing for seven days, I just find I find boring to the point that it gets hard to eat the food. Mm. So what I try to do is, and this is what I, I encourage other people who run into this to do, is to prep things at a base level but have options available to make changes and throw different things in. So whether that's seasonings, um, my biggest thing that I love, because this is a carryover from my paleo days, is um, I love making homemade avocado oil mayo. Um, it's a great source of fat, avocado oil, like it's a, um, you know, it's something that, you know, people obviously can look into that for themselves, but it, it's much better for you than something you would buy on a, shore a, a store shelf, you know, made with a soybean or a canola oil or something along those lines. And I make a base of that, <coughs> excuse me, but then I flavor it different ways. I add some garlic, I add some, some hot sauce, I add 
fresh herbs. I incorporate different seasonings and flavorings. And that was one of the things that exploded for me was I used to have the same seasonings that I would use on almost everything I cooked when I was larger. Like it was always like garlic powder, onion powder, and maybe some chili powder. And <laughs> what I discovered when I went keto was that there's a whole host of, of companies marketing spice blends and different varieties that don't have added sugar and don't have the added fillers that you worry about and the ingredients that you don't want to see on a label. So I started becoming a, a voracious consumer of different spice blends and different different seasonings to try. And I had some favorite food bloggers who use things like Aleppo pepper and sumac and mm, yeah. different. And then also you when you get into like the, the ground um, chili peppers, you go from things that are very mild to things that are incredible. And you can get like, I love jalapeno powder because it, it tastes like fresh jalapeno. And when I mix that into my, my homemade mayonnaise or, or use that in a rub on some meat, um, it creates a new dimension to the food. So I always try to ch challenge myself to, to try those new things. And if I see something on a store shelf that fits with the ingredients I'm eating and it's something I've never seen before, I'll grab that and I'll try it out. And like I just recently, and I haven't used it yet, um, a local spice company here uh, put out a what they call their Vietnamese spice blend. And so it's got some flavorings that I don't normally associate with savory food automatically, um, like some cinnamon and, and things along those lines. And I'm really excited to try that out and see how I can incorporate that. So I think finding, even if you have to prep something that's going to be the same ingredient, be that's ground beef or a roast or chicken breast or chicken thighs or whatever you're, whatever you're prepping, um, think about different ways to, to change up the taste that you're going to be getting and think about ways to, to, to do different things. Use different parts of, of the chicken. Look for different cuts of meat. Um, it doesn't always have to, it's not always steak, broccoli, and butter, um, as a lot of people think. Mm. Like you can, mm. you can find, you can find things, it, but it does, it does take work to do it, to discover these things that you've, you've not had in your life before, which I think is one of the, the great things when you, when you see someone switch to this way of eating and they start trying vegetables they haven't had before and, and exploring new proteins. Like I'm really getting into now figuring out ways to incorporate different organ meats, um, into my diet mm. and, even, and even more so, like today for the first time, I, I cooked salmon at home for the first time. And I had it a couple times in restaurants and, and liked it, but was always daunted and afraid to try it. And I decided just to dive in and get a, got a small piece and cooked it today. And it was fantastic. And so being willing to try things that aren't exactly the way that you ate before and not always looking to recreate your old tastes, not always trying to recreate. Like I think when people go keto, they get trapped in this world of, they want to make fathead dough and they want to make keto cookies that taste just like the chocolate chip cookies that their mom made. Um, mm. Sometimes we have bad relationships with those foods and flavors that, that we don't realize affect us until we take them away. And so finding new ways and new experiences with food, um, I think keeps that, that variety there for me. Mm, I really love that. And um, I love that you were talking about, you know, different flavor combinations. There's a book that I've got called The Flavor Bible. Mm. Um, and if anyone listening uh, wants to try out a few of those flavors but don't know where to start, that book has taught me so much oh, wow. about combining flavors with foods. So like um, pork and garlic and fennel mm. or maybe cauliflower and anchovies. Ooh. Like there's just some crazy combinations in there where you put them together and you go, oh, my gosh. What was I thinking? <laughs> so maybe that's a book uh, to, to go down as well. But um, there's a few there's a few other questions. So sure. um, 
uh, you were talking a little bit about macros mm -hmm. and that you were working with Jonathan to, you know, sort of shift your macros around. Uh, where where did you start with tracking macros or you know essentially tracking calories mm -hmm. what app do you use how do you how do you incorporate that into your life if you even use it use an app um how does that work for you sure sure well when i started i was convinced and i've long been convinced that i'm a pen and paper person so and, and like kind of like more hardwired like that so i actually started my tracking using an excel spreadsheet that i created um <laughs> yep. and i thought it was going to be the end-all be-all for me and then i soon realized that Googling the exact nutrients on foods and retyping everything was exhausting. Um, and even just trying to keep a paper journal was exhausting. So I, I reached out, you know, Jonathan, of course, had some options for me. And one of the other deeper state coaches uh, recommended uh, the app Chronometer. And yeah, I yeah. downloaded Chronometer and I opened it because I had tried to use my fitness pal before in the past. And I always found it like, because if you're using the, the non-premium version of MyFitnessPal, you can't make as many changes to your macros and things along those lines. I found yeah. it limiting. Chronometer, I found really easy to use in terms of an interface. And the thing that I also liked about Chronometer was it tracks micronutrients as well as macronutrients. So I could track um, the, my sodium intake and my potassium intake and, and my magnesium because I've learned that my body is really, really sensitive to the levels, the, and specifically the, the potassium-sodium ratio. My body is really sensitive to that. If I'm off, uh, I'll gain weight um, easily, even, if my, you know, even knowing my calories are at the right level. Um, my body will hold water. You know, I've got a lot of empty cells in my body that are just looking to take something into them. So mm. I, I see a lot of fluctuations that way. But using that app um, helped me start to, to track that side of things as well. As far as my macros go, it also then is where it really kicked into high gear for me of being like a game and there being fun to seeing those numbers line up because right at the top of every every screen, excuse me, the screen for the day you're looking at, you see your totals. And so as I'm adding foods and changing the amounts and changing the grams and I, I watch those numbers get closer and closer to being in line. And so now I, I feel like it's second nature to me, like I can enter all my food and be like, I think this is going to be on target. And then I look and it's on target. Um, <laughs> but it's really been a great, it, it's, it takes a lot of the weight off in terms of doing all that figuring yourself. Like you can put in, okay, I'm, I'm going to cook 10 ounces of, of, of ribeye tonight. I'm going to cook nine ounces of ground beef. And then I'm going to also have, you know, four ounces of sausage with it. And then I'm going to have some, some baby broccoli and I'm, I'm going to have three ounces of baby broccoli or whatever it is. And I can look and see, okay, you know, I need to take half an ounce off here or add an ounce here um, and find that balance. And it becomes less of a daunting task to me. Mm, that's really awesome. And uh, that's so good because I always recommend, uh, so I say chronometer, but mm. chronometer, that probably makes more sense. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, the, the when I first, because I have a big background in micronutrients because mm. my family's, um, uh, they're all, uh, well, my mom's a natural therapist, and so she's always taught me about all of the micronutrients in foods oh, wow. as I was growing up. And so when I first came to keto, I was like, everyone's just tracking macros. What about the micronutrients? Mm. And that's where I found Chronometer, and I thought, well, this is an app that makes sense. And the best part about that app is that if you – so I put all of my recipes into that app before they go on my website – you know, to either get the calories, get the get the macronutrients, um, but also to get the micronutrients for myself because I, I, if I'm tracking food using that app, 
it can actually suggest recipes for you to fit into that puzzle. So I think that's in the premium version. Oh, wow. Um, but you go, you go into the suggested foods and it says, uh, most of the time it just says liver. Mm. <laughs> because liver is <laughs> one of those, you know, super foods. Right. But, um, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Oh, that's um, great. And so... That, yeah, that, so the macro, uh, you know, that, that's, that's such a good place to start. And I think that app is super easy to use. But when you're dealing with macros, you're dealing with a variety of foods. Um, I think a big one, and especially when, uh, you know, it's, it's not so much when someone is starting keto, but it's more once, they've, once they're in ketosis or they're in uh, a, a state of fat burning um, or they've maybe dropped off keto and looking to back come back in their cravings are what halts mm. that process um, how how would you I guess what was your journey like with dealing with those cravings um, and and what what do you think f- has helped you at least eliminate or fix it um, for yourself and and what what was that journey like sure sure well I, I would say first like I said when I was when I was first doing keto, I, I was just counting under 25 net grams of carbs a day and wasn't really paying attention to how I was getting those carbs for one thing. So I would do a lot of like keto treats and I could eat, you know, 25 net grams of a keto cookie or something along those lines every day. Um, and I found that my cravings would, would still exist for the, for the foods that I had a bad relationship with. So cookies and, and pizza specifically for me used to be a big deal. I have a local pizza place here that I used to visit probably four or five times a week. Um, and I was so well known there that when I would go there late at night, um, they would just give me whatever they had left for slices. Like I would buy one slice and get a box full of pizza. Um, you know, and I don't know if that was a good thing or, a, you know, obviously it was not a great thing for my health, but as a, as a person at that point, I loved it because, you know, I would walk out at, at midnight on a Wednesday with, with 10 slices of pizza. And, um, so I, when I started working, when I started working keto into my life, I, I found that, and this is how I, I like to describe it. No matter what I was eating, I, I had to white knuckle my way through the 15 to 20 minutes after eating that meal. Because the, the fire to eat more would, would ignite inside of me. And I would literally sometimes sit in a room and turn the lights off and put my head down um, or go to bed early and, and just do what I had to do to get through the, those moments. And I, I'm grateful that I found the strength to get through them. But I, I eventually discovered, uh, specifically working with Jonathan in, in the Deeper State program, like his, his version of coaching, that there were actual things I could do about what I was eating that would affect my cravings for me. And, and this is where it can get controversial for some people. We, we both know there's a lot of ways to keto. Um, mm-hmm. So if someone says to you, how do I do keto? I always say, which, which way do you mean? You know, with, yes, it's about carb, carb reduction, but are you going to eat higher protein? Are you looking at more of a higher fat ratio? Like, what is your perspective on that? And uh, a lot of times, you know, people don't know where to go. And for me, as I said, I, I was eating lower carbs, but I, I was eating more protein than fat for sure. I was eating a much higher protein um, ratio than I was eating fat. And starting with Jonathan, we flipped that script. Uh, we took my, my fat percentage up to around 80% and took the carbs, started counting total carbs. And when you, when you count total carbs, you're taking away the ability to have something like a Quest bar or something along those lines that's, you know, 40 grams of fiber in a serving. Um, there's some pretty famous in, this, in keto circles around here, um, some gummy candies that are 
so much fiber per serving, it's mind-blowing to me. Uh, but the net carbs, it's only two <laughs> net carbs, so go to town. Um, and I'm always like, I just would like to know what it's going to be like for you in the bathroom for the next couple of days after you eat a, an entire bag of those. Because Have you read the Amazon reviews oh, for sugar, sugar-free gummy bears? Yes, the, 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 sugar, <laughs> the, the actual sugar-free, and I think those are maltitol. Um, yes, those, yep. are, those reviews are hilarious, and they're real. Um, like Russell Stover's does some, I think they've, they're switching some of the sweeteners they're using now, but they, they were using primarily maltitol before. And so if you ate more than two pieces, and on the bags it said, do not eat more than two pieces of this candy. And people still did anyway. You were having fun for yourself. Um, so counting, counting total carbs and counting just 10 grams of carbs affected how many of those types of items I could keep in my life. So I changed I'm keeping a lot of the sweeter foods around, uh, which I think was a big deal for me. I also increased, um, you know, with that increased fat ratio, I I determined for me that the higher fat ratio provides greater satiation and relief from cravings. Uh, We've experimented with my, with my, my percentages and we've taken my, my fat ratio down even into the sixties. And when we do that, I don't feel as good and I feel the cravings start to come back. So for me as a person, um, going higher fat um, helps resolve some of those physical craving issues. Mental cravings are a completely different issue, but I feel like this far into my journey, I've become really good at identifying, am I stomach hungry or am I head hungry? And if I'm head hungry, what's causing that? Where is it coming from? And, And putting some thought into that can usually help me resolve some of those cravings. But as far as like actual, the actual shaking physical cravings I used to have for food, even when I was eating, you know, quote unquote, ketogenically. Uh, now that, that I count total carbs and, and I'm eating a higher fat ratio, I, I found relief from that. Mm, that's that's so awesome. Um, and it's interesting you say, because, uh, you know, going much, much higher fat often gives you a lot more mental clarity as well. Mm, for um, sure. And so some, peop- some people, you know, really adapt well to that but what i found and i've worked with a lot of athletes as well is that actually going high protein can have that same effect Mm. for those people too um so i guess you know working with a coach is the best way to figure out which way you want to go in that in that respect if you if you're listening to this podcast and you want to try that out for yourself but definitely trying either of those is best than trying or trying to figure out which one is going to work you've just got to try it for yourself and that's what whether that's that's what i completely say to people that I can't tell you what the exact answer is for you. You need to try. You need you need to try these different things. And if you, you know, eat a higher eat higher protein and you function great, that's perfect. If you eat higher fat and you function better, that's also perfect. You know, we, we all you know, it's the carb level, you know, that you're thinking about, you know, that's getting you into yes, ketosis. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I think for some people protein's a boogeyman and for some people fat's a boogeyman. And mm. I think they just like yelling at each other on the internet about it. Um, I honestly, like, I, I just always try to break it down for people and say, treat yourself as your individual experiment. And as much as you want to, I know people want to rely on studies and, and large sample groups and, and things along those lines. But for me, it really, like, I, we, I, we, we've started raising my fat, um, bringing my fat up again. Because I, I was sitting at work one day and I was like, why am I just having, I feel like I'm having so much trouble focusing. And I went into my macros, like our, our, the tracking sheet that I have with Jonathan, and he provides some very nice you know, pie charts so you can see your percentages played out. And I looked at how over the past two months, 
we've taken my fat level down a lot lower. And I said to him, I said, I really would like to try to experiment with raising my fat level again. Like I, I, I think I'm, I don't think it's just me craving fat. I, I think it's, I'm actually starting to see, you know, I'm seeing food cravings again. I, I'm starting to feel not as clear mentally as I was before. And for me, those are the optimal things I want to optimize. Um, and like you're saying, like there may be someone who's an athlete or a performance athlete who, who needs the benefits that the higher protein will give them. I, I, I think don't try to base yourself about someone else, you know, look mm -hmm. for what your goals are and, and what is ideal for you. What are, what are the, cause that, that I think is, is the, the question that comes into play once you, you're, you've been in keto for a while is you start thinking about optimization and you start to mm -hmm. think about fine tuning. Um, it's not just about getting the carbs out of your life anymore. It's about what are you, what are you bringing in and how is that? You can start to think about like, how do I feel like I know so many different people that I talk to them. And if they, if I ate as much sodium as they did, I would feel bloated all the time. Um, right. yeah. but if they ate as low, like my sodium is not low. I don't want anyone to think that I'm out there preaching low sodium. Like my sodium level is, is, you know, probably higher than, you know, the average, you know, the American diet recommends. Um, mm. but I'm not, you know, 8,000 milligrams of sodium a day. Um, like I know some mm. people are, but if they went as low as I was, they might not feel as good as I do at the level that I'm at. Like I, I, I think there is. I don't think bio-individuality is a myth when it comes to a lot of this because there's so many different factors that come into play that you can you can start to tweak them. And that's why like, you know, chronometer for me allows me to look at those tweaks and, and track some of that numbers, some of those numbers specifically. So it, it's, mm -hmm. it's good to accept that it's okay that you might have to do some tweaking to figure out what works best for you. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and and often for most people, that's that's a little bit of a roadblock mm. because they don't want to optimize; they just want to get it done. Right. Uh, and it's and I I envision it like uh, being able to learn how to skateboard but not falling mm. ever. <laughs> um, it just doesn't happen. Um, and so you know, you uh, were saying you know ma manipulating the macros helps with the cravings uh, physically, but what about mentally? What is what is maybe the eighty twenty on on that then the mental side of cravings because is it just about increasing those fats and it goes away or is it do you have any type of protest uh, pr process sure. whether that's meditation or something that helps with the mental craving side of things um hmm. i i don't necessarily say that i have a specific meditative piece that i do when i'm feeling them like i i've incorporated more of those practices into my life like one of the things i've discovered a corollary to this journey is I've very much fallen in love with Stoic philosophy and um, becoming kind of more conscious of what I can control and what I can't control. And I, I think that's giving me a, given me the thought that when I feel those cravings now, I, I do really try to identify, is this something within my control or without my control? Is this something that I can do something about? And um, that does mean that sometimes you still just put your head down and push your way through it. But I, for me more because I approach it with that perspective now, um, I, I, I do, I feel a freedom from them. I, I do, I wish, I wish I could say there was, there's some specific trick that I'm using to help me with cravings, but I really think it's by bringing my eating um, into a more measured control that because I know I can't take an extra scoop of something, because that's always the danger zone for me when I'm getting my tablespoon of peanut butter that I'm going to have with my meal and I take another two tablespoons in. 
and, and I up those things that I'm, I don't realize the sheer amount that I'm taking in and, and what that does to me. And, um, and I do, I, I, I think, and, and this is something I, I think some people aren't going to like hearing. Um, I, I don't do cheat meals. Um, and I've eliminated from my, from the past, you know, at least nine to 10 months of my journey, eliminated a lot of the foods that I considered to be trigger foods for me, you know, the keto desserts, things along those lines, keto ice creams. Um, and I'm going to begin to do some experimenting with that again to see where my control is at now and how it affects me. And, and I feel like I'll be a more conscious warrior going into those, those, those activities. Um, but I, I'm someone who believes in the, the, the wonders of elimination when it comes to the foods that you can't control. Um, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of saying, okay, you know, you have a problem with pizza. So take pizza down to one to two days a week, because I think it keeps that fire for pizza still alive in you, you know, find some different foods that you enjoy and, and replace that for now. And then if you want to, when you feel like you're in a stronger place, approach that relationship. But for me, I, I do think there's a benefit to, um, just, just saying no, Sometimes, you know, taking taking those pieces off the table, because if they're not there for you to play with, you're less likely to be thinking about them. Mm, definitely. There's a book actually called, uh, by Gretchen Rubin called Better Than Before on mm. the show notes, but she talks about abstinence versus moderation. Right. Some people can do moderation. Some people need to be completely abstinent. Mm. Uh, and you just need to, again, figure out which type of person you are and, and play to that because if desserts are a trigger and you can't, you haven't learned how to, um, or I guess like you're, you're not hardwired to moderate, mm. <laughs> then it, it, it just, that sort of process just doesn't work. Um, but you know, that, that's a, that's a really great insight into, into cravings, but what about pressure from, you know, either family or society? Like when you go out for, for dinner, there's, there's a lot of roadblocks there for a lot of people too. Um, and they have trouble, uh, again, um, where someone says, oh, you know, it, it won't hurt. Like there's, there's a little bit of, um, that, that pressure externally to say, oh yeah, maybe they're right. That, that, that isn't going to hurt. What, what would you say to those people who are struggling with, um, you know, the pressure externally like that? Sure. Um, I think you're right. I think that pressure is real and I think you have to cut it off hard and, and quickly in your journey. Um, I, I think you need to say to people, when you say that to me, do you know what you're doing to me? And, and I, I'll say to people, like I, I've had discussions with some family members and friends who say, well, you could just have a bite of this or you could just try this or, you know, so-and-so works so hard on this, you should really try it. Um, I think guilt around food is a big thing that people like to use in, in a lot of our cultures. And I, I, I'm a blunt person sometimes. Um, so I will, I will outright say to the person, the food you're trying to get me to eat is something that I was using to kill myself. If you want me to kill myself, I'll try it. So tell me that you want me to do that. And usually their face, their eyes go really wide and they're like, um, okay, just thought it wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm like, I'm letting you know that for me, it is that big of a deal. Okay. Mm. Um, I will say, like, as far as dealing with, like, social pressure for food and things along those lines, um, I don't think I've always dealt with it the best. It's never been something that set me off track. But I, I know for a fair amount of my journey, um, I, would, I would start to avoid those situations. Um, I wouldn't go to places that I knew that the food was something that was going to be too tempting for me. 
Um, if I was going to a family a family meal or occasion where I knew the food was going to be something that would be too challenging for me, I would eat before um, and not even participate or partake. And my grandmother is someone who, when I go now to see her and she's having dinner and I'm not eating, because I eat most of my food during the day, to, uh, very early. Mm-hmm. Um, so by five or six o'clock at night, I'm not eating anymore for the rest of the day. So I'll sit there and she'll say to me, I feel really guilty eating and you're not eating. And so I have the same conversation with her every time because she's older. So she forgets this conversation. And I say, Grandma, I'm just happy to be with you. I'm happy to be with, with the people. And that's why I started telling myself that I couldn't take myself out of those situations because it's not like they were asking me to go to bars you know, when I'm an alcoholic. Um, it's not like they were taking me somewhere and putting a pizza in front of me and telling me to eat it. Um, I realized that the issues I was having were my issues and not their issues at the end of the day. And I'm the only one that can control them. So if someone is trying to tempt me, I'll direct, I'll confront, I'll directly confront them. But also I, I'm very, I'll very clearly say, like my family will say, we're going out to dinner on this night. Do you, do you want to come? You know, they have some good food that would probably be good for you. You know, my family's very aware now of how I eat and what I take in. Um, and sometimes I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'm coming to dinner and I'm definitely going to eat with you. Don't worry about it. Or I say, I'm coming to dinner and I'm going to have soda water and don't worry about it. Um, mm. I try to get them to realize that, like, they can think about what they're doing and they don't have to worry about me. I, I'm not I'm not sitting there hungry. I'm not pining for their food. I, I'm enjoying the time I'm having with the people that I care about. Um and, and it's been a little more challenging sometimes with friends because for me, I've learned that alcohol is a trigger for, for my food problems. Mm. Um, I don't think I necessarily have a quote-unquote problem with alcohol itself, but I know when I drink, I make bad food choices. Um, the last time I drank was actually December of last year, and mm. it was my company party. I, I stayed to the food I needed to eat at the dinner. We had prepped them the, the place catering, so... They knew to give me the steak without the, the sugary sauce on it. And I, you know, I brought my own salad dressing and had a salad like it was all fantastic. And I had planned with Jonathan that I was going to have a couple of drinks, um, some, some vodka club sodas. So there was no sugar or anything involved. And when I got home from that event, I was ravenous. And mm-hmm. I literally wandered my apartment thinking, what could I eat? What can I eat? What can I eat? And I had prepared. I had made sure there was nothing readily accessible in my apartment, even like keto snack-wise or prepared food. So I was going to have to cook a steak at 2 o'clock in the morning if I wanted to eat. And that put a nice little roadblock in the way. Um, So now when it comes to to alcohol, I'll I'll let people know, you know, I'll go, but I'm not going to be drinking. And I've determined that it's not fun to be around people that are drinking excessively if you're not drinking. Um, Mm. So I've built connections with people that don't do that. And um, you sometimes have to make some, some choices on this journey to take care of yourself that not everyone's going to understand. Um, and whether that's not going to somewhere or making different choices when you're in a place, um, it's okay if they do. I've, re- I've come to the realization that it's okay if not everyone understands what I'm doing. It's okay if they don't think the keto diet is a healthy way to eat. It doesn't affect me. I know what it's doing for me. I know what my doctor thinks it's doing for me. Um, and, and I'm satisfied with that. And I'm, I'm able to say, I appreciate your opinion. Like I have a friend who's really, um, he's amazed by what I've done to change my life and supports me, but he's not a fan of keto. And so we'll have discussions because he's very much a calories in calories out if it fits your macros person. 
and he'll he'll say things like, well, you know, you could have a piece of that if you just fit it into your calories for the day. And I'm like, I could, but you don't understand what it would be like for me if I had a piece of that pie. You know, even if I had a 150 calorie slice of that pie, what that would do to me. And I try to let him know what it would do to me. And he's getting a better understanding. And, and he appreciates and says, I understand that this is what, what helps you with your control. Um, I think my willingness to be open is something um, that sometimes can work to my detriment because I can share too much, um, but also is something that allows me to be able to communicate to people almost like an, an elevator speech. Uh, very quickly why I do what I do and why I eat the way that I eat and maybe why I'm not eating at an event or why I brought food with me um, or why I was worried about, you know, I'm going to a family barbecue and I'm bringing my own hamburgers because I prefer to eat responsibly sourced meat. So I bring it with me. Like I I don't ever expect anyone to change what they're doing for me, but I do expect that they are going to be okay with the changes I make for myself. Mm. And I know not every, and I know not everyone can do that. I know that, and I don't think I was great at that in the beginning. Um, and I think there probably were some times that I compromised in terms of what I ate. I didn't. I never ate anything off my plan, but I, I would make compromises that I just don't make now because I love how I feel the way that I eat. And I know that I have it fine-tuned. And I don't want to go back to the way I used to feel. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome and really, really powerful. You know, because I think that's... That scenario happens everywhere. Mm. It's not just with food. It's with business. It's with, you know, dealing with family. Like as soon as you have a strategy and you have a plan and you're sticking to it, most other people will follow right. you because no one no one has a plan. <laughs> Everyone's just running around like headless chickens going, oh, that person did this and uh, maybe I should do it. And it's like, no, stick to your plan, stick with what with what you're doing and and that gives you so much self-confidence in the build-up to that um that you know those little habits get easier and easier and easier and so if you're sitting there going you know i could never go to my mom's place and not have pumpkin pie for thanksgiving or whatever it is that um you know you build those habits and it gets easier as you go i I definitely think so and the the thing i think i have going for me honestly aaron that I, i i don't think someone who has 40 pounds or has lost 25 pounds and that's all they had to lose would have going for them is I was dying. I, I, I was 470 pounds. Uh, I was undiagnosed diabetic. Um, I, I was not a healthy person. And people saw me. They knew me. They knew how I was living. They knew how I was eating. I was never shy about that. And I think even if they don't understand the way that I'm eating now, they, they see that I've saved my life. And so I, I, <laughs> so I think when someone sees that you've made such a dramatic change, that even if they don't understand, they know you're doing something right. And so they don't question anymore. Like they, they, if anything, I feel like now I more convert people, um, get them to think about what they're <laughs> eating. Like I even had a great discussion. My parents eat terrible food. Um, they're raising children and I, I cringe at some of the food I see them feeding the children. Um, they'll love hearing this if they hear this ever. Um, but now they've actually started asking questions about what they're eating and thoughts that I have on things that they could try. Um, I don't think I could get them to go keto right away. Um, but I've started to talk to them more about maybe like a primal approach to eating, like getting rid of the pasta and the bread and, and eating vegetables and, you know, have potatoes instead of, you know, the other, you know, the, the pound of pasta you're eating with your meal, like just to get them to start thinking about change being possible 
Um, mm. And I feel like I, you know, I, I don't evangelize. I will never, I'll never lecture someone about what they're eating because if anyone ever lectured me about what I was eating before, um, I was nasty. Um, I, I know what it's like to, to have someone be defensive. But if anyone ever says to me, I want to talk to you about what you're doing, I'm like, let's talk about it right now. Like, let's have this conversation. Like, I'll tell you exactly what I eat. I'll tell you exactly what I do. And I'll tell you why you can't necessarily do exactly what I'm doing, but you can figure out something to do for yourself. Um, I get that question a lot, especially on Instagram. I get DMs like, can you just tell me what you're eating in a day? Because that's what I'll eat. And I say, well, my macros are prepared for me by my coach for me specifically based on uh, the weekly weigh-ins he's seen, the amount of macros and micronutrients I'm taking in, and what my goals are. So no, I, I don't want to give you my exact macros, but I'll help you figure out resources that can help you figure that out for yourself. And I, I love referring people to books and to websites and Instagram accounts and recipe pages and encourage them to look into things. And sometimes they look at it and come back and they're like, wow, this looks really like something I could try. And I do whatever I can to support them as they get started. Or they come back and they say, oh, I could never do that. You know, I could never live without X, Y, and Z. And then my response is always, well, until you stop thinking that you can't do it, you won't do it. Mm. Yeah, that's super powerful. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think um, as I was listening to you talk there, I was thinking, you know, results speak louder mm. than words. Um, and as soon as someone realizes that, then then they step off the hamster wheel of what everyone else is doing and start figuring out what works for them. Oh, completely. I, I had an experience. There, There is a... a a local bar that I hang out at where I have a lot of friends, but I obviously I'm not drinking there. Um, and one of the friend that I was talking about that we have the debates about keto versus non-keto. We were, we were having one, one time and this gentleman came in and sat down and started talking to us and he kind of nudged his way into the conversation and he started talking about how he went, he went full keto and he's lost 30 pounds and then started saying to me, you know, that if you were to go full keto, you could probably make a change and lose some weight. And my friend just stopped talking and looked at me and said, do you want to show him a picture? And the guy's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, um, I used to be over 500 pounds. And the guy was like, and he literally says, I guess I don't really need to tell you anything about losing weight, do I? And I said, well, I'm interested to hear what, what your experience has been. But no, I don't think I need advice from you today, sir. I think I'm, I think I'm doing good. I, that, that is mind-blowing to me because I realize that not everyone I'm seeing and meeting now has known me when I could barely walk and has known me when that, my, the way my life used to be. So people can meet me now and just think that the size I am now has been the way I've always been. And they have no perspective on, on where I've come. That, that happened to me when I was hospitalized uh, with pneumonia in 2017. And I was um, about 100, a little over 100 pounds into my journey. And all of the doctors and nurses just assumed that I was eating horribly and that I, I had been the weight that I was forever. And so I, every time a new person came into the room, I was in the hospital for 16 days. I had to say, I just need you to know, this is where I'm at in my journey. This is what I'm doing. Please don't ask me if I'm interested in weight loss surgery. Please don't ask me if I'm interested in a diet plan you're going to hand me in a pamphlet. I know what I'm doing. And I eventually became known as the keto expert to the ward that I was on um, because I, I had a lot of fights with the dietary program at the hospital to make sure I was getting food that I could actually eat. And um, 
I started having nurses coming in asking to see my before pictures and asking me questions about keto. And recently, my own doctor has decided to go keto and has been having success with it himself. So um, it's it's fun for me to share my story with people, but it's also amazing for me to realize that sometimes I have to share it because they don't know where I've come from. Mm, mm. And people play catch up. Oh yeah, and you know people don't don't, don't ever judge someone by by their you know don't ever read someone by a book oh, exactly or the cover of a book mm. yeah so so at the end of the podcast i like asking some quick sure. questions and i have a little jingle oh that's nice i like that <laughs> <laughs> um so the first question is uh what is your favorite keto food oh I, I i like i feel like it changes for me a lot um right now i am addicted to using a sous vide uh, which is oh, cooking yeah. cooking you know whatever you're cooking in a, at a constant temperature bath. Um, and right now for me, my favorite keto food is a sous vide chuck roast. Um, chuck roast is a very fatty cut of beef. It's not expensive. Um, and if you cook it sous vide, I cook it for 48 hours. It comes out like the most expensive prime rib I've ever had in my life. And it's an amazing meal prep, but um, almost anything I cook in a sous vide is probably my favorite keto food right now. But I would say like a nice fatty chuck roast is, is probably my favorite keto food. I love that. And I, I'm, I'm yet to get a mm. soup, but uh, that's for me down the it's, track. I'm, tell, I'm <laughs> telling you, it is life-changing. Like I, I, for the first time, I did pork tenderloins. Um, it's just a couple hours. Um, and it's probably the best pork I've ever cooked in my life. Um, I, it, wow, that's so it blows me away. Like I, I, I've, got, I've got a whole tenderloin left that I'll be cutting into for tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't wait. Because it literally is melting my mouth just by you know doing this this, this little process with it. Oh, that's great! And so, what, uh, now that you're going to the gym mm-hmm. as well, what is what do you think is the most effective exercise for you? Mm. Um, for well, for me, I think the most effective exercise has been uh, between if I'm picking between weight weightlifting and cardio, I think it's it's weightlifting. Um, mm. I I think building up strength in my body and maintaining what the muscle that I do have. Um, as I mentioned, I was hospitalized. I was bedridden for two months after that. Um, I lost a lot of the muscle mass in my body and the strength. And I was back to, I was lighter in weight, but I was weaker than I was when I started um, this journey. And so I've been really working on focusing on, on building my strength again and, and seeing uh, the new things that I can do. And, and I've Recently, with Jonathan also helps me with workouts, and we started moving me away from relying on machines and getting a little more into dumbbells and barbells. And um, I've, for the first time ever, uh, this and this is where I'm going with this. Um, I've started because I've always said I've have my knees are too horrible to do anything because I had bad bad knees when I was much heavier, and I just assumed I could never do anything like a squat or anything like that because my knees are just too bad. I use that excuse for a long time. And Jonathan convinced me to, to, to start trying doing some dumbbell squats. And I've been incorporating those into my leg workouts now. And I love doing them. And I love trying to get my form right and get lower and feeling that burn in my legs and feeling it the next day, but realizing it's not pain. It's, it's a good feeling and that my legs are getting stronger. So I, I think that for me, I would say, is, is, is the best exercise and my favorite right now. That's awesome. Um, and so do you have a least favorite exercise that you just you just dread doing sure but you feel like you have to do um flat bench press um Ooh. and the reason it's my least favorite um 
is for a few reasons. The one of the biggest is the physics of my body when I was heavier, like to get up off of my back, like the my core, the weakness of my core, I couldn't just sit up. So I literally every time I would do a bench press would have to basically roll off the bench like a turtle onto my hands and knees and stand up. And so I just have dreadful memories of attempting to do that. So I stopped doing the flat bench press. Um, I would always do incline or something or use a, a chest press machine. And I've started to incorporate it now into, into my workouts and I'm finding it easier to, to bounce back after I do it. So I, I like it more now, but it still for me gives me that little bit of anxiety because I think what if I'm trapped in my back again? You know, what if in this gym in front of all these people, I'm rolling off the bench again onto the floor? Like, what happens then? So that's the most anxiety-ridden exercise for me. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of problems with flat bar, um, you know, that bar mm. bench press, and a lot of people have a lot of shoulder injuries. So, uh, so yeah, mm. <laughs> I think uh, if, you, if you are looking to do that exercise, then definitely going with a personal trainer or, you know, having some guidance. I think definitely, and I do, just so um, people know, like, I, I do a dumbbell bench press as well. Um, so mm, I'm not yeah. under a bar that, you know, I can even use to pull myself up. So, um, and I, I, don't, I don't push myself to weights that I know I can't handle. Um, that because mm -hmm. I, I also have a fear of that, I think, but, uh, I think you're right. Like there, you, it's very easy doing a lot of these activities to injure yourself if you're not doing them properly. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so do you have a book or a video that has recently inspired you? Maybe a audio book, uh, I don't know, um, anything or a podcast even. Sure. Sure. Oh, what was, what, what which one stands out to me the most? The book, that, that I think most recently was, was life-changing for me is, is Ryan Holiday's Obstacle is the Way. Um, oh, yeah. I, I know it's something I think a lot of people in this community go to, you know, because I think Stoic, Stoic philosophy and, and the, the keto world somehow have intersected in a lot of ways. Um, but that book, it's this small book with short chapters and short stories that get you really to start thinking about your approach to everything you do in your life. And... It's, it's really shaped me f philosophically. I discovered it when I was hospitalized. Um, and that was when I really dove into getting to reading it. And, you know, since then I've read Ego is the Enemy. And I know he has a sequel coming out soon. Uh, another or sequel, another book. I, I guess sequels would be movies. Books don't really have sequels, you know, that, that aren't like <laughs> fiction. But um, for me, that's the book where I just tell people, I need you to read this book. Like this book is, mm. has been a game changer for me in terms of how I approach everything I do, whether it's diet or um, my health or my life in general or my work, um, all of those things. Mm. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, and I'll put the link to that in the description of this podcast as well. Uh, one, um, uh, one idea that I had floating around when you were saying that was uh, an analogy of a, of a game. Mm. So you think about Super Mario or uh, something where you're always up, you're always fighting against yep. enemies. Um, and if you think about that in life, if you're not going up against hard things, it generally means you're either you're just going in the mm. wrong direction. <laughs> um, and so don't ever be scared of going that to, to up against those hard things or those tough situations because it means you're moving in the right For direction, sure. which is something. Just yeah, that was that was for me something really important because going up against hard things, I was like, "Am I going the right way? What's going mm -hmm. on?" Um, so I was a musician for a very long time, and I love hearing people's music tastes. Do you have a playlist? Do you have an artist? Do you have things that you go back to? What is that? For oh you? goodness, um, 
it's funny because in a lot of ways, like my musical taste has evolved over time. Um, but recently it's gone back to its roots. Um, so for the most part for me, I would say I I'm back in the world, my high school days of eighties alternative music. Um, so REM, the Indigo Girls, Depeche Mode, The Cure, um, those artists and rediscovering the albums that meant so much to me then, um, has been, you know, a, a great, a great thing recently. If, if I was going to pick someone contemporary, um, I mentioned that I often get, get emotional at the gym. Um, it's usually when the song Brave by Sarah Bareilles comes on my playlist, um, <laughs> yep. that song, um, I know the song is about voice and, and not necessarily about it, like a fitness or health journey, but there's a line in there where it says, maybe there's a way out of, of the cage where you live. And like that line just gives me, even saying it right now, I'm getting chills. Um, it sums up for me, you know, what it really means to, to undertake a journey like this, where you're literally changing almost everything about your life. Um, and it just takes you being brave, you know, to take one step. And so that's a song that I probably still listen to three or four times a day. Like when I feel like I'm in a mood or anything along those lines, I'll put that song on. I keep it on my downloaded on my phone. Um, and I go back to that one a lot. Mm, I love that. Um, and yeah, music can evoke so many mm. emotions physically and, and, you know, uh, mentally. So it's good to have that to either come back to or, and I guess that's sort of a meditation mm. really. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about that. So if someone out there is currently in the position that you were at when you felt trapped in that cage, um, what would you say to them and, and what would you not say to mm. them? I, I would not tell them that I knew a way for them to get out of the space that they're at. Um, you know, I would, I would not say I know exactly what you need to do to change because that washes away for them the what they're experiencing like we all have unique experiences and when someone says i know exactly how you're feeling that shuts us down um so i would never tell someone i know exactly what they're dealing with and that i know the answer for them but what i would say is um if, if you're someone that's feeling trapped or you're feeling like you don't know what to do and and you want to find a way uh, reach out, reach out to people. Don't just try to figure it out for yourself. Don't be afraid to send someone a direct message. Don't be afraid uh, to talk to me. Don't be afraid to talk to you. Um, encourage them to just take that first step to start figuring it out for themselves. Um, I think we there's something so much more powerful to us when we face these big challenges, when we feel like we've had a hand in discovering the, the, the weapons and tools that are going to help us. Um, so don't be afraid to do some research on your own and experiment and, and just get started. Um, don't wait. Uh, I've been posting that a lot lately on my Instagram account, especially when I reflect on old pictures of myself. Like I, I think back where I would be now um, if it was two years ago or two, these two years had gone by and I hadn't made the choice um, to get started. And I, I think we get paralyzed sometimes by not knowing how to start. Um, I would just say, uh, pick a path, start on it, and, and make changes along the way. Don't be afraid to get started. Mm, yeah, that's. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like we agree on a lot of mm. things, uh, and, and that in particular is one of them. So I just want to say a huge thank you from 
all of the listeners of this podcast uh, and for you coming on this show because you have so many great insights. Your journey is inspiring to say the least. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people have a lot to learn from you yet. Um, and, yeah, I just I just wanted to say a big thank you and, and thanks for coming on the show. Definitely, Aaron. Thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity. It, it's great to be able to connect with you uh, and also to connect with with anyone out there who's listening, like to to show them uh, the possibilities. And on that note, where can people find you? Where can people get in contact with you? Where can they listen to your? Podcast? Sure, sure. Uh, wh- where are all of those uh, things located? So for me, the the primary place I think the primary social media source that I live on is Instagram. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I'm Gourmet Goes Keto on there, but that's Gourmet underscore Goes underscore Keto. Um, I respond to every DM and comment that I get on there. Um, I love connecting with people and, and directing them to resources and, and just offering whatever I can for support. I've also recently joined Twitter. I'm at Gourmet Goes Keto, no underscores uh, on Twitter. And as you alluded to, I've also just recently launched a podcast a little over a month ago. Uh, it's called the Fat Guy Forum. Uh, I have long felt that in this this sphere of, of fitness and weight loss that uh, the stories of, of big men um, and that what their lives are actually like um, sometimes gets lost. Um, I know primarily it's because the consumers of materials and resources in the fitness sphere tends to be women that are talking about it more and, and guys tend to be a little more reticent to tell their stories or they're men that have already been fit for most of their lives and dealt with small challenges or different challenges or trying to help other people, you know, fitness coaches, things along those lines. So I wanted to create a place where where men like myself who don't come from that fitness space but are entering it and and at different stages of their journeys um, can can share their experiences and share their stories. So it's the Fat Guy Forum. It's available on on most podcast platforms. Um, but it's it's not just for men to listen to as well. I, I think men get a lot out of it, but majority of my listeners are women that find learning that learning what men go through and how similar a lot of our experiences are has been a fascinating thing for them. So I encourage everyone to check it out and um, drop me a line on Instagram and give me some feedback. I love it. So all of the links for those will be in the show notes of this episode. So whatever app you're using, just swipe over to see the show notes uh, and you'll be able to get you know, subscribe to the podcast uh, and, and send, send Gormi a DM and say, Hey, just come and hear from the fat for weight loss mm. show. So great to listen to you. And, um, you know, I uh, hope to speak to you soon. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. that would be awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.